Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost. Today's special, shout it loud and clear, today's special. The date was September 12th, 1992, at McMaster University in Hamilton. There I was, hosting my first ever program on TVO. The show was called Between the Lines. It was a town hall style show. We would get a group of experts together to discuss a topic in front of a live audience who would then participate in the questioning as well. It was an important program for me, not only my first time on the air with my new employer, but also a show taking place in my hometown. My parents were in the audience. So were a lot of other people I knew. And before long, to my surprise, things started to get a little chippy. This was TVO, right? The channel that featured very serious, somber, sober policy discussions where guests never hurled insults at one another. But our topic that night was health policy, and two of the guests in particular were pretty strongly disagreeing. Harvard professor Ted Marmer, who was Hillary Clinton's health policy advisor, and Dr. Arnie Aberman, who was then the head of the Ontario Medical Association. Marmer made his points calmly and reasonably. Aberman started getting very aggressive and a bit personal in his criticism. After a few minutes of this, I interrupted and said, well, isn't this a surprise? We've got a calm, mild-mannered American being insulted by an arrogant Canadian. The audience broke out into laughter and applause. I really wasn't trying to insult Dr. Aberman, but he was getting very chippy with a guy who'd presumably not flown all the way from Boston just to be insulted. That audience's reaction might also have been the moment when I thought to myself, you know, I may actually be able to do this job. I hosted Between the Lines for two seasons before moving on to other shows at TVO. And one of the people who was in my ear, quite literally, he spoke into my earpiece, was Howard Bernstein, the producer of the program. Today, on TVO at 50, Howard joins me to share his Outside the Lines memories from Between the Lines. Ah, there you are. Uh, yeah, here I am. Hello, Uncle Howie. How you, not, uh, hello, how are you doing? <laughs> I guess you know, we should probably establish from the top, you're not really my uncle, but somehow I, I ended up calling you that over the years, and I'm not really sure why. Do you know where that came from? I am sure why. Okay, where did it come from? You were at my son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> okay. You heard my niece call me Uncle Howie. <laughs> and you have called me Uncle Howie ever since then. Now, I have, to, <laughs> I have to say, my son is now 41. Oh, my gosh. So this is a long time ago. <laughs> so that's how long you've been calling me Uncle Howie. I wondered why. And I, and I literally have all the time. Yes. And it's ever since you heard my niece calling me Uncle Howie. My niece, by the way, is close to 50. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think I, re I remember hearing her call you that and thinking that was about the funniest darn thing I'd ever heard. Because you're just, you're not exactly the most avuncular guy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, well, but it, it was, uh, uh, and, and, and interestingly enough, she's the only one who's ever called me that. In addition to me, you mean? Well, no. Until you, then it became two people. I see. I see. Okay. Well, uh, I guess we should establish who you are. We are talking to Howard Bernstein, who was the executive producer 
more than 25 years ago of a show called Between the Lines, which was kind of a weekly town hall style show. And just before we get into that, Howard, maybe take us back. How did you end up at TVO in the first place? Well, I, I was head of news at Global. Um, and, and, frank, and frankly, Global, in my opinion, was not overly interested in news at the time. And I found it very difficult to work in a place that couldn't care less what I was doing. Mm. And, and uh, I, I had a few altercations with, uh, with the vice president there. Uh, and, and, and I basically said, you know, enough is enough one day uh, and, and walked away. And uh, interestingly enough, at the time, I had just been at a conference where I met Krista Singer. Ah, uh, yeah, who was uh, heading up current affairs at TVO at the time. That's correct. And Krista said, you know, I sure could use your help. I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. So I said, well, I'll be glad to help. And that's how it started. And that's how it started. Oh, for goodness sakes, because you've worked just about everywhere, I think. I mean, you, you've worked at CTV, you worked at Global, you worked at CBC, you and I worked together at CBC. You hired me at CBC. Yes, I did. Okay. And, 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 uh, TVO and I had my own production company, of course, for, for seven years. Right. Okay. So the idea was come help us at TVO. And when you got there, what essentially did they want you to do? Well, between the lines had just, was in the middle of its first season. Um, I had, uh, so they wanted me to, to help the executive producer at the time whose name I'm, I'm a, I apologize, I don't remember. Um, and they wanted me, and, and as a way of paying me, they actually hired me to produce a phone-in show with Harry Brown. Oh, yes. So that was their way of paying me. But that was like a two-day-a-week job, and the rest of the time I was basically a consultant for current affairs. Okay. So, so the idea was, come in, we've got this weekly, and maybe you should just to sort of describe what Between the Lines was like. What was the format? The, the, the format at the time was a, a, a panel discussion um, and, and very, very, didn't change very much. Like from week to week, it was basically the same show uh, with, with a, you know, generally a four-person panel. Um, and it was obvious that it wasn't working well. Um, but we're in the middle of the season, so you can't do much. So uh, at the end of the season, um, they, Krista dumped the producer and made me the producer. Ah, okay. Now, th this was a show, you say it wasn't working all that well, but th they had some pretty big name hosts on that show. Now, if, if I recall, Jim Reed was a host and he went on to do W5 for many years and John Godfrey was a host. John and Godfrey was the host when, for the first season. Okay, and he went on to become a member of Parliament and the you know the headmaster at Toronto French School, and you know he's had a very good career. Uh, am I missing it? Oh, Catherine Olson, I think, was there as well for a, for a time. Uh, not, <clears throat> she wasn't on that show. Catherine Olson was was uh, buying documentaries for TVO, and she would buy them, and then she would host them and and uh, and and uh, introduce them on air. Okay, so 
Sorry, keep going. Godfrey was obviously not overly interested. So at the end of that first season, he just left. Uh, and that's when, so I, when I took over the show in the second season, I hired Jim Reed. Um, Jim wa- had just retired from W5. And uh, Jim did a super job for about half a season. <laughs> <laughs> what happened then? I, I wish I knew because I, I'm a big fan of Jim's or you know, Jim is gone now, but I was a big fan of Jim's. Um, but for some reason, he just lost interest. Hmm. And, and, and um, at that point, it was I said, well, we can't continue with the guy who's totally uninterested. And I started to and I had to figure out who was going to replace him. And who was that? And that was you. Well, that was me. Okay, that was you. Right. So, and- I, I, basically, what happened was, uh, and I'll be honest with you, if if my memory is correct, you were kind of looking around at the time. No, your memory is not correct about that. No, you were. You didn't come to me. I came to you. But yes. But the but the rumor mill was that you wanted something more juicy than what you were doing. Well, that's fair to say. I think I was hosting the six o'clock news on CBC at the time, the anchor, which, which used to be your show. You were the executive producer and, and I worked for you. And and it's true. That was the job I thought I always wanted. And then I got it. And it turned out there was a lot less there than I kind of hoped. So, yes. So that was the rumor out there. Like I said, you didn't come to me, so I'm not suggesting that. But the rumor out there was and I trying to remember at the time I was try I was talking to two or three people there about possible jobs, and they were all saying, you know, if you need a new host, you should call Steve. Huh. I never knew any of this. Yeah, and I said, my first reaction was, Steve, he can't possibly be available. And they said, no, 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 I think he's, he's not the happiest guy in the world with this job. And so I gave you a call on the off chance. Um, and... You said yes, and 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 the reason I get I, I was interested in you had not so much to do with your hosting of the news, but with your hosting of of elections and specials. When you hosted elections and specials, you you you, there was an enthusiasm in you that was that spread to, to the audience. Yeah, but I was thirty two years old at the time, Howard. What what made you think that a thirty two year old kid could fill the shoes of a you know of a Jim Reed or John Godfrey, both of whom were were you know considerably more experienced than me? Um, well, Godfrey wasn't all that experienced in television. Jim Reed had never done uh, a, a, a live panel show before. He was he was a, a you know he hosted things in the field. Um, you actually had more experience in live television than they did. Hmm. Uh, but most importantly, as I said, I lo- uh, what I love in a TV host is someone who, who's, enth- who's, who's enthusiastic about what they're doing and, and, and whose enthusiasm could be seen and felt by an audience. And you had that, and I, and I was lucky at, at, at CBC because I felt the same way about one of your predecessors at CBC News, uh, a gentleman who who's not doing all that well right now, but but you know him, um, and 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 it's it's that enthusiasm that works on television. 
Do you want to do you want to name names there? Who are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 71 years old. My memory is not as good as it used to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, he retired while we were both at, at uh, CBC. Why can't I think of his name? We were supposed to have coffee, but. Oh, Fra- Fraser Kelly. Fraser was my he was my mentor in journalism. He was a great anchor for many years at CBC and CTV. And I think he worked at the telly as well and covered Queen's Park. The, I shouldn't say the telly, the Toronto Telegram, the newspaper that has been defunct for whatever, 45 years or so. Well, you and Fraser have that both have that ability to be to get really excited about what you're doing and, and to the point where the audience gets it. Hmm. And, well, and, and I very seldom have met people who have that kind of ability. Well, thank you, Howard. I do remember one of the first things you did when I came on was you, you changed up the format of the show pretty significantly. Yes, there was that, that sort of main panel at the front, but then you had uh, you brought kind of an audience in as well, an extended audience, anywhere from sort of five to 10 to sometimes 20 people. And I would be going, and they were all sort of invited experts to participate. And I'd be running back and forth a little bit like Phil Donahue, running around the studio and, and uh, you know, interviewing people in the audience, interviewing people on the panel. Uh, wh- why did you want to mix up the format of the show? It, what, I, what I decided was that the show wasn't going to have a format. I decided that what we would do is we would choose the best format for the topic that week. So what we would do is what's the best way to do this? If you remember correctly, there were times we had only two guests which really became a debate. I remember mm. that for uh, when we did a separatism show. Yes. Um, but there were times, and I remember there was a, a wonderful show we did on mental health issues in Ontario where, where we had 20 people there, all of whom had a connection to the mental health system in Ontario. Yep, I remember that one too. And I, I, I so I, what I said was, let's throw away the idea of format, let's do what's best for each individual topic. Um, because you can't, you can't decide to do mental health the same way you do separatism. Right, right. Do you remember, Howard, there was one show we were doing, <laughs> I still laugh about this, there was one show we were doing, and you gave me a very funny, you know, I wore an earpiece, as, as hosts do, so that you as the producer could talk to me during the course of the discussion and, and prompt me in, in whatever way you thought was important to move the discussion along. Do you remember one of the funniest um, prompts you gave to me during the course of one of our tapings? Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to be prompted to know. <laughs> okay. I, you know, it, it, it's strange what stays with you because we're talking, this is 1992 after all. So it's a long time ago. It's almost 30 years ago. And, and at one point, we're probably 20 minutes into the hour long program and you push your button down and you say into my ear, Steve, this is the most boring show you've ever done. Start a fight with somebody or I'm leaving. <laughs> And I think I uh, took that admonition and sparked it up a little bit after that. Let me ask you if this was one of our separatism shows. Uh, it's funny. I don't recall what the subject was, but I just I definitely remember the prompt. No, I think I recall. And I think what was happening was we booked this staunch separatist to, to be on the side of Quebec separatism. And if my memory is correct, one of what... He had just come from, he had just come from some place outside of 
Canada, where he had spent some time, and he decided he wasn't a separatist anymore. <laughs> well, that would have ruined our discussion somewhat. Yes, and, and it was like, so all of a sudden we had the, our pro-separatists and our anti-separatists were now on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a bit of a problem if you're supposed to have a debate. Exactly. So That, that might have that, been the show. So uh, that, if I remember correctly, that would have been, that would have been the show. Well, of course, one of the other episodes that I remember very well was, and this was in the days when TVO was really able to uh, to, to bite off a lot more uh, with international affairs coverage and that kind of thing. Because, I mean, frankly, the budgets were larger uh, and it was before sort of year after year after year of budget cuts for perfectly understandable reasons. But, but uh, you and I and a camera crew went to uh, the former Yugoslavia and we did a documentary over there. And do you remember some of the people that we interviewed while we were over there and some of the circumstances in which we found ourselves? Well, some of those memories are hard to forget. I mean, uh, interviewing Archon, and, uh, who, who for, the, for the audience was a thug and a murderer and, uh, and, and uh, I, I don't know what to call him, a ga- really a gang leader in, yeah. in, 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 in the former Yugoslavia. Um, and, and, uh, we, we interviewed, uh, the head of, uh, of the, um, the Bosnian Serbia, uh, Bosnian Serbia, who was another thug and murderer. Radovan Karadzic. Radovan Karadzic, who was kind of a, a surprising person in the sense that he was, if I remember correctly, he was a psychologist. And a poet, yes, that's exactly right. You know, and, 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 and here was this guy, and I believe he has been convicted by the International Court of Human Rights. Correct again. Um, um, so we interviewed some pretty bad people over there. Um, and, and of course, we got in trouble for all that. Oh, yeah. There were marches on TVO because they, they didn't think we should even be interviewing these people. Well, do you remember what happened to Archon eventually? Well, put it this way. Yeah, put it this way. He, he, when, we, when we interviewed him, he had uh, two or three bodyguards with uh, very, very large rifles basically standing right behind us, which, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say I pulled my punches as a result of it, but, but you notice that they are there. And then some years ago, some years ago and some years after our interview, uh, one of those bodyguards apparently one day walked up right behind Archon, put a gun uh, behind his head and blew his brains out. And that's how uh, that's how his life ended. So that was a that was a uh, we, we, we talked to some pretty, um, pretty nasty customers, I recall, on that trip. My me- one of my memories of that was he wouldn't let us interview him unless we had breakfast with him. That's right. We sat down for a meal with him. That's right. And in order to be honest with the public, we showed a little bit of that breakfast. And that totally upset the Croatian community in Ontario. Because they said, how could you sit down to have breakfast with that murderer and thug? Right, right. And and, and the, the interesting thing to me was they obviously didn't listen. They were so upset at seeing us having breakfast with them, with Archon, that they didn't hear that the way you introduced him was as a murderer and a thug. <laughs> right. 
And I remember, actually, Howard, you know, uh, Steve Mahoney, who was a member of the Ontario legislature representing a Mississauga riding where there was actually a significant Croatian community. And I'd known him for years and years, and he ran for the uh, Ontario Liberal leadership, losing the Lynn McLeod back in 92, I think. So, I mean, he, he and I'd known each other well. And he came up to me one day at Queen's Park and he said, listen, uh, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to attack you on the floor, floor of the legislature. I got a community that's really upset about your documentary. And just so you know, there's no hard feelings between you and me, but I'm going to have to attack you. And, you know, <laughs> I appreciated that. And I understood it was all, you know, all's fair in love and politics and so on. But, but it was interesting that no matter what negative things we said, just by being there, we, we they, they believe we were taking sides. Well, Howard, let, let, let's finish up on this, because, of course, one of the reasons that um, one of Peter Herndorf's big missions was to, to try to create TVO's first ever daily current affairs program, which turned out to be Studio Two. And you, you had left TVO before Studio Two uh, got up and rolling. But what, what I'm curious about is your view on whether after... Well, let me think, how many years would it have been? After more than 20 years of doing essentially only weekly current affairs programming, did you feel in the early 1990s, or I guess mid-1990s by the time Studio Two came along, did you feel TVO was ready to be able to bite off that big uh, a current affairs chunk? Okay, now let me tell you this. The only weekly I had done was at TVO. I was daily news at Global, daily news at CBC, daily current affairs at The Journal, Daily Current Affairs at Canada AM. I was not a weekly kind of guy. Mm -hmm. I was a daily kind of guy. And I was a, a, basically a news person, not a current affairs person. Um, but but I had, I was one of, I, I spent the first two years of the journal at the journal as a senior producer. And, and my fear about Studio Two was not the idea. The idea to me was a terrific idea. My fear always was, and I remember having this discussion with Peter Herndorf, I said, Peter, we don't have the money to do this. You know, the, the journal's budget was $32 million a year when I was there. And we're going back to 1981 or 82. Mm, which was about half of TVO's entire budget. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I said... <laughs> You know, Peter, where are we going to get the money for this? And Peter's answer to me was, you know, Howard, you start a show, the money comes. Well, let me say that's Howard Bernstein. He's the former executive producer of Between the Lines and Fourth Reading, uh, which we'll talk about on another episode. Howard, uh, thanks for this walk down memory lane. Enjoyed it very much. OK, great to talk to you, Steve. And that's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara, with editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch and Carol Elder. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. We want you to share your TVO memories. What does TVO mean to you? Record yourself on your phone or your computer and email the audio to us using the email tvo at 50 at tvo.org. That's tvo, A-T, and the number 50, 50, at tvo.org. We'll play these on future episodes next time on the podcast. And then you probably kind of leaned forward a little bit and said, you know, tell me, Premier, you're out there promoting Ontario to the world, looking for investors. How can people have confidence in this province when your government is kind of in shambles here at home? Ooh, what a clever way to get at it. 
<laughs> and I was standing in the control room with a one or two, with this press person and probably someone else. And they went, they went berserk. They screamed, you promised, you promised that you weren't going to ask any questions about that. I'm Steve Pakin. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>